You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, Perth. Welcome to another episode of the Perth Property Show on this very nice October Monday morning. We are starting with a new segment today, a new expert, and we have got Andrew Vaughan from Intelligent Homes in to talk about smart home technology. Andrew, thanks for coming in. Hi, Trent. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Andrew, this is a topic that I think is going to have to cover many weeks of you coming in, many different subtopics, interests. Technology, obviously, is how long is a piece of string these days. But really, when we're talking about smart home technology, I guess we can break it down into a few items here. Some We're talking security. We're talking audio, entertainment systems. What else, is, what else is smart home technology cover? Uh, it covers uh, lighting control is a big thing now. In a lot of ways, we can cover that. Like I said, music, entertainment, security, which covers alarms and CCTV systems. All um, the apps behind it all, these all days. All the apps behind it and uh-huh. how they all come together. So, yeah, many, many things are becoming smart. And then it's just about how we want to integrate them into a home. Smart wiring, the construction side of it that comes into it in setting your home up properly when you're building a new home must be super important to the scope of opportunity you can have in this space as well as a homeowner. Correct. Yeah. Having a good backbone in the house to start with is key to be able to have all these things come together properly, especially with all the wireless technologies. You need that backbone to be able to make those wireless technologies work well. Providing for that backbone properly with enough conduit space would really save a lot of money in the future. Definitely. Yeah. Retrofitting must be expensive, right? Uh, yes, it is. Like um, Particularly if it's a double story or bigger home. Single stories are a lot easier, especially if you've got the conduits in place to be able to run those cables. In a bigger home, you need to get infrastructure in during the build. Otherwise, a lot of the time, you won't have an option to do it later. Okay. So, Andrew, you work at Intelligent Home. Tell us more about the industry and how it's grown in Perth specifically and where you see that industry going and just the services that are being offered to both builders but also homeowners as well well the, the structures cabling side's grown a lot having the internet cabling run around the homes become more and more important in the past it wasn't as important because we didn't have the devices that relied on it the same what do you mean by um, the cabling i'm just thinking yeah. we've got a telstra cable or an mvn cable going up to that uh, switch at the front ish area of our home and then everything's wireless from there what else happens cabling's a few things so cabling on the internet side of things like data cabling cat6 cabling running to at least a few key points in the home so it doesn't need to be to every single room but the idea is to have it spread out across the home uh, ideally to where tvs would be located you know we've got smart tvs that rely on internet and if you have a cable there you can plug the tv in and not worry about buffering problems and then it gives you a, an option to um, extend your wi-fi around the house as well having a modem in one end of the house won't necessarily reach the other end of the house yep, and then net extenders that's correct and there's certain extenders that will just plug into a powerpoint which don't really offer full speed and then you've got access points that will plug into the data cabling and will relay the full Wi-Fi signal. So that's the first part about the structured cabling. Everyone's got the basic TV and maybe Foxtel cabling. Phone cabling, not as important now with um, the way MBN's sort of rolled through and everyone's on mobile. I would have thought that there'd be very few houses these days getting a phone port in their house. Still a compliancy, so still an MBN compliancy. So we still put a phone point in the house and could be for uh, an older couple or someone that still needs that dedicated phone line or someone that's disabled sure. and still needs that dedicated service. 
service. Yep. But the majority are just on mobile now. And depending on how we cable at home, we may not put a, a phone point in if we're doing smart wiring and can add one later if need be. My ambient useless at my apartment. I think we run at one megabit per second. So wow. I canned okay. that after 12 months and just went to 4G in, in the whole space and you know running at about 20 now. Right. I just think it's ridiculous the, the money that's been spent nationally to set this up and it's going to be superseded so quickly. Yeah, and with communications to people's homes, quite often it might not be the actual network itself, but could be products in, or cabling in the building, poorly terminated or not run properly or an issue that's in the building itself. Sometimes the equipment in the house can affect it. 3, 4G and 5G soon, it's sort of all sort of progressing, but relying on Wi-Fi or wireless technologies that could drop out it's still very nice to have a, a cabled solution that can be consistent but just needs to be done properly okay keep running us through those services that we're looking at in in perth pushing through and, and where you think that future lies i think this the future will be a more connected solution so where all products talk to each other more and more products are becoming smart and intelligent uh, security for example cameras are becoming more intelligent and can now track the difference between a person walking by compared to a, a tree waving in the background um, so that technology Technology is getting more intelligent. Even facial recognition is a technology which is here but still developing. Music on the entertainment side, well, that's been growing gee, at a quite a fast sort of rate. Everything's sort of now app controlled, whereas you can have different music streaming in different rooms. You've got your Google Homes and your Echoes, Alexa style things. Can you run us through a, a bit of how that is pushing through the industry as well? Yes, yeah, so they're integrating more and more into products. Bit of a battle at the moment between the giants, between your sort of Alexas and your Googles and Apple's not really a player in the Aussie market at the moment. Probably, probably sure yeah. that will yeah, change. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Like always, they that, normally end up being second or third to market with just the most premium option yep, available. They will be there, yep. Uh, a lot of companies are choosing to integrate it. A lot like, say, uh, Sonos, for example, started with um, Alexa as the integration. Have now got the Google integrated as well. Not all products have voice control integrated and there's quite a lot of people that don't want voice control integrated, don't like the idea of something always listening. So there's that sort of factor with it as well, you know, people's privacy. So it's um, it's a convenience. It's still, I wouldn't say 100%. It's still something that I think it's got a lot of growing and that's, that is a space that I think is going to change a lot. Are you finding that builders are coming to companies like yours more and more often to integrate these services straight into the initial build? And if so... What's the most popular request you're getting? Builders, first of all, want customers to come to us so we can make sure we get their requirements correct for how they live because everyone's different. So the first part's, you know, with the clients discussing, okay, well, you know, what technology to use? Uh, where are your TVs around the house? How do you see things being integrated? And not just now or the next two years, but more the next five to 10 years. So uh, some things will be integrated during build, typically things like security. That's becoming... Uh, alarm systems? Um, yeah, alarm systems. You know, a lot of people find you know, the security of the house, whether it be alarms or camera systems, CCTV sort of cameras. So they, you know, they can feel safe in the home. They can see what's happening around the home if there's a noise and they could potentially arm the alarm when they're in the house sleeping. You know, if they're upstairs and the bedroom's upstairs and the living room's downstairs, you know, they want to know that they can sleep soundly and not know someone can just get into the house without them being aware. So security is very important for people. And that's sort of also coming to like your video intercoms now that can dial out to your phone as well. And a lot of those are quite intelligent and can send you alerts if they pick up motion and you know, not just the straight sort of doorbell that presses a button and chimes in the house. So that's what people um, are thinking of straight up when they're building their home is integrating a lot of that security side. Surely though, what I would have thought many people would miss or undersell is the need for that infrastructure for 
most of those data points. It can it, it can become quite costly on the front end. It also, just thinking yes. about adding all these data points, all the conduit, even just the provision for future needs when they may not be able to harness them right now. That's that's right. Yeah, it's a hard really, sell. Yep, it can really uh, not so much of a hard sell. It's more of a education, bit of an understanding because a lot of people will think, oh, I can just rely on my modem router in the house and that will cover the home. Uh, what they don't think about is, well, if the range doesn't reach everywhere, then what yeah, you are got a three hundred square meter home. That's that's right. So you know, we always try and keep modems as central in the house as possible, but that's not always ideal. If we look at a two story home, we would look at saying, well, let's try and get a data point upstairs somewhere, at least one downstairs somewhere. So there's uh, an opportunity to get good Wi Fi later if need be, and sort of build on it. Fun question. You mentioned lighting quickly. Yes. Are these Philips Hue Light bit of a 15 minutes of fame sort of product here or do you think they have a real place in the future? I can't imagine needing to pay 60 bucks to turn my lights green for the afternoon. <laughs> Am I underselling um, them? <laughs> uh, I think uh, Philips Hue definitely has a good place in the market, um, particularly people that uh, have an existing home with maybe a cabling in place that doesn't support um, a lot of the hardwired sort of lighting control solutions. So definitely a place. What prob- place prob- though, Andrew? What is the place for changing my lights to disco mode? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, more of a fun factor, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the good thing with the Hue Globes is it can integrate with some of the automation systems around so you will have clients that will have uh, like your hardwired lighting control solutions and then might just want to integrate a lamp or something else in the house and then they have a way of being able to do that okay the issue with having uh, the smarts built into the globe itself is that if you turn off the light switch well that globe disappears from the app and you've got no control over it if you put in a light fixing that's reliant on a smart globe and that globe breaks and then if you want to replace it costly costly or if they stop manufacturing that globe or fixing then the whole system's out of whack the whole system's out of whack so i guess it's with any technology i would have assumed that the first entrant technology is really quite overpriced for the outcome but eventually it just builds into a normal pricing model within the home and within our lifestyles and you know that $60 hue light now becomes 10 or something and we think it's much it becomes more palatable to integrate those into our expectations of our home integration yeah that's right yeah it's just technology you know as it uh, becomes more available it becomes cheaper and then well they provide more colors in the rainbow and we want to buy them more often (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) watching a footy game and having all the uh you know all the colors turn yellow and blue if you're an eagle supporter well yeah we're all we've all got the uh bridge in our house quickly yeah andrew thanks a lot for this quick chat i think that was a really good introduction into just what's going on in the space Uh, we'll definitely have you in to chat i think we want to chat more uh deeply about things like security uh things like that entertainment space as well Uh, and also just generally about the future and apps and how they're integrating uh into our home and our lives as well so i'll get you in for that great thanks andrew have a good day thanks Trent. Okay, today's suburb spotlight is Willoughby. We're going to get straight into that conversation of this south of the river development hotspot. That's what I'd call it. And we've got one person to talk to. As always, it's the number one agent for Willoughby. It is Siobhan McHale. Siobhan, thank you very much for coming in and chatting with me. Thanks, Trent. Lovely to talk with you as well. Hey, I'm going to throw you on the spot here. If you had one word to describe Willoughby, what would it be? Diverse. Why? I think Willoughby, especially where it's located, it's surrounded by... More, more expensive areas like Melville, Palmyra, Winthrop. The thing I love about Willoughby is the people are diverse. You've got elderly people 
who built in the 50s. Willoughby was one of those working class areas and it's quickly become such a different area in the last 10 years. So not only would it be diverse culturally but also just generally demographically and economically? Absolutely. When I first started in Willoughby 10 years ago, the average medium sale price was 320000 and it was a real working class area. And what we've found over the last few years, especially with the redevelopment, is that we've now seen a lot of young professional couples coming in, uh, young families. It seems like Willoughby is one of those suburbs, especially one of the very few suburbs in the median house price spectrum, that's sort of bucked the trend in the last 10 years where most properties have gone backwards or at the very best stay where they are. There's a lot of asset classes or housing classes, I should say, in Willoughby that have actually gone up in the last 10 years. Absolutely. So it was predominantly a three-bedroom, one-bathroom, brick and tile or fibro home. Let's be. Let's put on the table, you want. It, okay. it started off as a state housing suburb Absolutely. in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely. It's not really that anymore. There's, as Like any suburb, there's a bit of that. But it's come a long way since those days, hasn't it? It has. I mean, it it was originally split in two. So south of Archibald Street was definitely state housing and north of Archibald Street, so closer to Melville, uh, was privately owned. And, you know, that was where the Campbell Estate was. So there was the Campbell Egg Farm that was around long before the development came through in the 50s and 60s. And so that's what we call the Campbell Estate. So it's a very desirable location in Willoughby. There was an egg farm in Willoughby. There was an egg farm, yep. And uh, the actual farmhouse got bowled over a few years ago for redevelopment, which I found very sad, but oh. it was... What a nice uh, fun fact. Like. Talking about fun facts, do you have anything else for us in terms of just a bit of history and well, anything cool that's been going on in Willoughby over the years? Obviously, with you know, the Willoughby Restructure Plan was a, a huge break for us as a suburb. So previous to that, it was just three-by-one homes, brick and tile, fibros. Uh, there was a redevelopment that happened in the late 90s, so Department of Housing rezoned some of their area south of Archibald Street. So we had 1950s, 60s homes. Then we started to see 1997 to 2000 homes come in. So it really, I suppose, rebirthed Willoughby and reinvigorated it. So um, you had some couple of diverse type of properties you could still buy. still hadn't come out of its infancy really and into Not the really. mainstream no and which i would say it is now absolutely we lacked villas and units uh, we only really had two sets of over 55s units in willoughby you lacked high-end knockdowns absolutely i mean you're selling some houses here at seven hundred thousand dollar marks another fun fact i've sold two properties over a million dollars in, in willoughby the last in Willoughby. <laughs> so this this is a fantastic example of how and rezone- during the downturn. Yeah, there you go. Of yeah. how rezoning can gentrify a suburb. It can. It's a perfect example of how a, a local government can incentivize private developers, where there is clear demographic ripple effect and walk score of the surrounding suburbs to attract some of those Melville Winthrop buyers at maybe a slightly lower land price to go look. Let's put our money here because we can maybe save a couple hundred grand to have the same or better house just across the road. Absolutely. And that brings the suburb with it. That sets a, that sets a price and it sets aspirational profit numbers for developers to come. Well, we have a lot of buyers who look north of Highway, so they're looking Melville, Palmyra, and not quite finding the property they're looking for. So they'll move over to Willoughby, start doing their search 
uh, and research. Meet me. We usually have a good chat about Willoughby. I think the thing that attracts buyers most to Willoughby is the sense of community. It's got a, a, a different feel than most of the suburbs surrounding it and it's friendly. Neighbours still talk to each other. There's big blocks there. There are a lot of young families. There are schools. Schools are great. We've got Carolee Community School, which is a very small school. Uh, it's of 320-odd students there. And then we've also got Melville Senior High School. So with the reputation Melville's got, it's made Willoughby very attractive to families. So that's the catchment zone. Absolutely. Okay. So talking about families, talking about the people that are in the suburb, can you give me a characterization of who's selling with you right now and who's buying off of you right now? Okay. So those who are selling are generally sellers who moved into the area as young couples, have had one or two, three children there, love the area, but just find that they need a bigger home. Or they've decided that in this market... Willoughby's maintained its prices quite well, so that changeover between Willoughby and an area they'd like to go to north of Canning Highway. Upgraders, absolutely. So they're the ones who are now taking advantage of the fact that Willoughby's sustained some prices, other areas have dropped, so they can move up and um, onwards. Buyers? Mm. Buyers. You've got your developers, obviously. Developers, that's a big one. They're still looking for land. Yep. Uh, with the re- rezoning, it's it's quite advantageous for developers to come in. It's a product we need in Willoughby as well. So those three by two villas, uh, stratas are, are really important to an area like Willoughby because it's only 15 minutes drive to the city. It's close to the train stations. It's five minutes to Frio. Shops. Absolutely. You've got cut in your shopping centre. You've got Melville. Garden City is going to go through its re- revitalisation. So being... 10 to 15 minutes from all of that surrounding it makes it very attractive for a, a young buyer. Young buyer with families normally, is that what it is? Or is it just a single person? It's diverse. It's varied. You've got single people. You've got first-home buyers. You've got young couples. You've got small families. You've got um, buyers who are moving from eastern suburbs into areas like Willoughby. We have a lot of buyers coming from Success, uh, Auburn Grove, areas you know right who I think the these buyers are these are the buyers who were sold the con of the house and land package five ten years ago learned a little bit about the market and a bit about uh, that next investment and decided look for the same sort of price I can get 20 minutes close to the city yes. lose half of that awful travel on the Quinana freeway in the morning on the way home and be so much closer to amenities and and have maybe a bit of a reno job or even the options are there with the brand new houses too it it astounds me how people can overlook the amenity of suburbs like Willoughby and get sold the dream in Auburn Grove and and Atwell and whatnot and that's something I try to educate buyers when they come through home opens is go for something that's a property that's smaller that you're going to have a greater capital growth on rather than go further south along the freeway, which is fantastic. They've got trains and transport, things like that. But there's something to be said about living so close to the city and the river and the beaches. It's the same price. Mm, it's absolutely. Willoughby is the same price for a family home as Auburn Grove. It right? is now. It wasn't always. It, it used to be cheaper, right? It used to be cheaper. That's the point. You're paying more to be 20 minutes further out of the city. Does my head in. So I, I understand mm. how people are now moving back into places like Willoughby and 
Hilton and Samson and these places as if they forgot they existed in the first place. I think it's our lifestyle as well. We, we spend a lot more time at work. So that commuting, the travel home, the transport, they just want to make it easy for themselves. So yep. Willoughby just shines through. And when you look at Willoughby compared to the areas around it, you can see a difference of 150000 for a similar product when you just jump over the highway. Talking money now, we always like to talk about our price points. How, if I come to you and say, I need the cheapest thing you've got, what would it probably be and how much would you, would you be able to sell it to me for? So the cheapest property on the market at the moment is a two-bedroom, one-bathroom villa I've got on Winnicott Gardens, and that's on the market for high twos to low 300000 That's a nice lifestyle change for someone who wants to be able to walk to everything that Willoughby's got to offer, including cafes, library, shops, you've got the bakeries, we've got topped up donuts there nowadays, mm. schools across the road. And then, you know, your highest price property, I'm about to list one, you know, closer to the 800000 That And that's a two-storey, four-bedroom, two-bathroom family home that's in what we call a dress circle location opposite a park in a quiet street. And in terms of those project sites, those development sites, mm-hmm. what's the price point there? Are we in the five, $600,000 mark there to pick up a R40, 700 and something square metre property? So currently you can pick up an R2060 zoning on Leach Highway. So that's a 750 to 800 square metre block in the low to mid 400,000s. You can develop up to five unit site. Then if you step one street into Willoughby, you're looking at an R40 or R25 zoning and that can you can fit at least two to three properties on, on a development site there and you're looking low 500s. And then finally, what are we looking at for those prices for the villas that are coming out at the end of the day? So this year, the prices have uh, carried through from 465000 right up to low 500000 for a three-bed, two-bath villa. So what's the determinant there? That's a 10% variation. Is it location? Is it quality? It's a mixture of both? I think it's a mixture of both, but definitely quality. So buyers are looking for a high-spec property that they don't really have to build themselves. They're often looking for low strata fees and everything that's included in the property as well. So reverse cycle air conditioning, double garages, two bathrooms, usually would like a bath. Is there a big price difference between West Willoughby and East or is it North and South? In terms of Willoughby, I mentioned the Campbell Estate. Everybody wants to be in the Campbell Estate. So that's the northeast pocket of Willoughby, so it's closer to the North Lake Road and Leach Highway side. And that's predominantly where the R4060 zoning is. Are we talking around Wayland Street, that sort of area? So between really from Winnicott Street, heading east over towards North Lake Road. North of Archibald? North of Archibald, south okay. of Leach Highway. And what are those those properties normally selling for in the 600s? You, you can buy those in the 500s. Oh, great. Okay, so we, look, our whole conversation has been laced with property development chat, but let's really drill down to it. Let's talk about that structure plan and what's unique about that structure plan compared to other suburbs around Perth. One thing that I think people need to not get caught with is something that we've spoken about off air, and that's the whole Leach Highway, not wanting to have a driveway off a of Leach Highway for starters. They want driveways or access to be away from Leach Highway if you're doing a development on Leach Highway or behind it on Arcor Street. So we've got the right of carriageway easement which will allow for the fact that when they do a development no one will be able to drive onto Leach Highway. So at the end of the day is the council really hoping that 20 years from now 
all of Leach Highway is fenced up and all the houses are really addressing you know, Arkwell Street, the one, street one back from Leach Highway. Wouldn't that be a nice thing? Isn't that, that interesting? Mm, I don't think I know a council who has set it up that way that they've made a rule that everyone developing the one street back from the main road has to allow for an easement for the houses on the main road yes. to access this, the street back through their own driveway. It's insane to think about that. And what you then have is five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten units all coming off the same driveway on the street back from Leach Highway. It's hard to imagine. It hasn't happened yet, though, has it, where it's been linked up? Not yet. There's there's only really been one developer who's taken advantage of the five-unit site on Artcore Street but allowed for that right of carriageway. So, yeah, it's in, it is interesting what the council's doing. I personally think it's a clever thing in terms of making sure that the cars that come onto Leach Highway, it, it doesn't increase. If anything, it will decrease. I think that the end result, a better end result, rightly should be that the that whole highway is fenced up and it's it's really just accessed like a normal highway. Where and the safer option is the only time you get off the highway is through a road, not through a driveway. So it makes Absolutely. sense. Uh, so in addition, we've got a little bit of that variation as you've mentioned. There's some R25, which is allowing for your house behind a house or your side by side. You've got some R20 slash 60s. You've got some R40s. Uh, is there any opportunity really or have you seen any evidence around apartments in Willoughby? Yes, we've had about four, so far four developments with apartments. So the Department of Housing actually rezoned or sorry, subdivided their blocks and built apartments. So when you look at the price point there, you're looking in the low 300,000. So it's affordable living for a single person looking to buy their first home in the area. Okay, so but these are state housing apartment buildings. There's no higher end apartments from private developers so as yet. Sadleys have um, won the tender to redevelop over the old Karawatha school site. So a couple of years ago, the Melville Council actually poured a few million dollars into rezoning some of the Karawatha school and uh, made a beautiful playground for the locals. And I think that's what's made such a difference to the area. Now we have beautiful parks. We have something like seven parks in Willoughby. And right near that park, there's some cafes. There's um, there's some really nice walking and and community kind of feel that's changed the way that Willoughby feels. And I guess that subdivision that Saturday is going to put through maybe some cottage lots, townhouses and whatnot will increase yes. that spec. We do need different types of housing in the area and you've got a lot of ageing population in Willoughby with older homes. They've been there since the 1950s and 60s. There are still plenty of blocks available that haven't been sold yet. So, Siobhan McHale, thank you very much for coming in. I appreciate your time and let's have you in again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!